for Johan Lorio. Um, Johan is a great friend of the show, um, appeared on a number of occasions. Johan's from the Institute Gustav Roussy. I've attracted a lot of criticism in the last few months around my rambling introductions. So uh, with no further ado, I'm going to hand over to Johan. Johan's going to give us an update of Erdofitinib within the Thor randomized phase three trial. It's a difficult study. It's got two cohorts. And so we're going to have to hear a little bit about the design. Um, Johan, far away. Yeah, thank, thank you again, uh, Brian and Tim, for uh, inviting me. Um, to Euro Amigos podcast, uh, I do confirm that I'm a big fan. Um, very, so, yeah, yeah, very kind. <laughs> so, so yeah, you agree. It's a uh, it's a complex uh, study. There is uh, basically there are two courts. So let's start off with the court one that we we, we showed the data at uh, ASCO this year. So court one compare uh, the fit name to chemotherapy in patient with. HFR altered metastatic carcinoma. So all patients have received an immune checkpoint inhibitor before enrolling, uh, being enrolled in this uh, trial. Maximum two line of prior, um, systemic therapy. So the patient received either adafitinib or chemotherapy. So docetaxel or venflunin, and the primary endpoint was overall survival. So um, the uh, the trial met the primary objective because the the other ratio was 0 0.64. Median overall survival was 12.1 months in Erdafitim group and only 7.8 months in the chemotherapy group. So uh, for PFS and uh, objective response rates, the data were, uh, the results were better in the Erdafitim group for PFS 5.6 months. Uh, for adafitinib uh, versus 2.7 in chemotherapy group, and uh, the response rate was 45% in the adafitinib uh, group versus 11.5%. So basically, what we shown here at ESMO was an, uh, a subgroup analysis, and why? Because uh, a lot of questions arose from the, the primary analysis shown at ANASCO. Um, and for example, the, the, maybe the type of mutation or alteration associated with the uh, with the benefit. And so here we showed that there was all the pre-specified mutation or alteration, so fusion and uh, mutation were associated with erdafitinib, uh, benefit to erdafitinib. So the most frequent alteration like uh, the S249C mutation, the R248C mutations. What is it? Another something maybe interesting. Uh, it was the correlation with PDL1 uh, status because maybe there's something to explain for the the, the other court later. Uh, in court one, so 90% of the patient has a PDL1 low status. It it was expected, right? But on the the first plot, it seemed that the patients with RGF3 mutation of fusion with high PDL1 expression um, derive more benefit from chemotherapy. So, of course, the, the sample size in this subgroup is very, very limited, very, very limited. So it is hard to to draw any conclusion. I think so just just more... to interrupt, Johan. So yeah. essentially, against chemotherapy, you've got a 36% reduction in the risk of death. It looks really attractive. 
in that FGF population. But now you're beginning to say, in this presentation, you've looked at those subgroups and you've combined that with PDL1 expression. Is that right? And what you're finding is that the, that the picture's becoming, becoming more complicated? Uh, it's intriguing, I would say. Yeah, it's complex because it's intriguing. Again, the sample size of this subgroup is very, very limited because, again, more than 90% of the patients with FGF mutation have PDL, PDL1 low status. But if you look at the forest plot, there's something to to look at. Maybe it's intriguing, and we, we will discuss the uh, the other court in a few minutes. But I think there's a, a trend here. Maybe that's something in terms of biology that we have to to explore. So that's yeah, and what's going on? What's going on with the upper tract patients as well? That confuses me. So the upper tract patients seem yes. to have more benefit mm -hmm. with with ERDA versus chemotherapy. Um, than the than the lower tract patients. Is that because the biology of upper tract disease is different? And is does that point again to the fact there's a problem with the FGFR biomarker? Um, uh, uh, again, all the patients derive benefit, uh, upper tract and lower tract. There is no question about that. But maybe the, the benefit is better for patients with upper tract disease. And my interpretation here is indeed because the biology is different. If we look at the uh, sequencing studies, reported so far, think that the FGFR3R248C mutations are more prevalent in upper tract. And uh, the hazard ratio for patients with R248C mutations was 0 0.20. Uh, so, so I think this patient derived more from erdafitinib. So again, maybe there's some difference between the mutation, but overall, again, all the patients with pre-specifying mutation derives this benefit from erdafitinib. But again, that's something we have to explore in, in the future because the data are very intriguing again. So it, it sounds like, Johan, for the, the subgroup analysis from the initial cohort, that it's generally consistent benefit. Yes. But in some of these, you know, some of these admittedly small subsets, there's maybe some signals, but even then, you get hazard ratios or you know confidence intervals that are overlapping one and it's it's hard to say i guess the question yes. is do you think there's value in digging deeper into fgfr mutations or other or, or you know into the biomarker further generally speaking or can we kind of just take it at face value and say okay generally consistent benefit maybe some small signals but small subgroups and sort of move on no i i think for the uh for the mutation and the, the, the fusion, the, the message is, is pretty clear. So all the seven or eight mutation and fusion that are uh, included in the panel uh, developed along with erdafitinib are associated with benefits. So in daily practice, I mean, if you come across this kind of mutation, the pre-specified mutation, there is no question. The patient will derive benefit from erdafitinib. But I think uh, one task now is to try to to figure out the mechanism of primary resistance and secondary resistance. So maybe uh, there's small difference between the, the, the mutation, but I think the core driver may be important. Again, the mutation landscape in upper tract, for example, is, is quite different from the mutational landscape from a bladder cancer. So maybe core driver may may have an impact on the uh, benefit to uh, to add a fitness. So that's something we will do in the future, of course. We, we will try to, to do this exercise. 
we we did in uh, the anostic trial with erdafitinib in the Ragnar study, and that's there was no specific sign on, maybe for TP53 across uh, histologies. So that that's something we can do in this specific trial in 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 Tor in carcinoma. So we'll see in the future. We will do this uh, this analysis and we'll report, of course. So, Johan, fair to say that the biomarker requires further exploration because there do, does seem to be some differences or some potential differences between these different DNA alterations regarding FGFR3. Um, and this is more work for the future. But we've shown a clear signal for Erdafit versus chemotherapy with a 34 34% reduction in the risk of death, which is really important. So those patients with FGFR alterations, this is better than chemotherapy. You've shown that. Now, that's your sunny day. That's your day in the sun. But it looks like there was also a rainy day uh, associated with the thought la, la, trial. La, la, so, like the day France versus South Africa, you mean? That was also the sun was shining, but it was a rainy day for Northern Hemisphere rugby. Um, this, uh, this trial, the second cohort, was a cohort where you randomized against pembrolizumab. And that trial was not positive. So this is FGFR patients with the same alterations, but instead of running against chemotherapy, you're, you're randomizing against pembrolizumab for those patients who have not prior had immune therapy. And the hazard ratio when this came out, um, you know, it was above one, um, uh, and it was uh, it 1. was 1. a 1.18. What happened there? That doesn't sound like it's as a positive signal. And just before you go any further, many people felt actually this was going to be the one that was going to come home even more because most patients are PDL1 negative in this FGFR alteration population. And so it should be a patient enriched for FGF alterations with low expression of PDL1. So we could have kind of predicted that it should have done kind of twice as well. And we should have got an even better result the 0.64 that we got, and yet we got 0.18. What happened? Uh, I, I don't know exactly. You're, you're right. It's quite surprising. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's, we, we expect that pembrolizumab was um, less active in uh, PDL1 low populations. So, of course, when we saw this data, we were very surprised. So, I don't know if there is a uh, uh, one clear uh, explanation to that. We pr prior studies clearly demonstrate that HGFR artery tumors with the luminal one uh, subtype are enriched for low T cell infiltration. So that's why we we had this hypothesis that pembrolizumab would have limited clinical activity in this uh, patient. Uh, but um, the the, the result for uh, Erdafitinib was consistent with the phase two uh, BLC2, there was a one study, so objective response rate was around 40%, median was 12.5 months, PFS around the same. So what's happened actually that patient treated with Pembro did better than what we uh, we expected. Uh, so that's what the main uh, the main explanation. So you, you are aware that, that the so some some previous study, for example, the, the one reported by Matt uh, Madgarski, suggest that actually there was no big difference between the FGFR alterate and FGFR one time 
um, tumors. But uh, again, here there's some some intriguing data. The the, the patient with HFR alterate and PDL1 high status respond very well to Pembro and 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 much better that erdafitinib. So that's something we have to again to uh, to work on because maybe there is something for the biology for HFR uh, alterate tumor that that will be important to understand here. Is it is it just Johan that PDL1 or CPS is such an unreliable biomarker for Pembro that you thought they would perform worse, but but Pembro patients perform better, but but we clearly don't have the right biomarker for that drug. Yeah, that that that, 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 that it's totally correct. I agree. So we um, uh, are so PDL1 status is not a really uh, marker for immunotherapy, and but again we so we we base on our hypothesis that because there, there was no immune infiltration, the pembrolizumab was unlikely to to be active in this tumor. So it it was a, a wrong assumption. Uh, maybe um, there's still some some infiltration. Maybe the also the chemotherapy that the patient receive before uh, being enrolled in TOR have some impact on PDL1 uh, studying in this patient. That's something that we have to to figure out. I don't know if you have data on what the Pembro patients went on to receive and if those patients got FGF inhibitors at progression, because there was a response rate advantage, the, a numerical median PFS advantage to erdafitinib. So was it just a lot of effective salvage therapy in the Pembro arm or or what? Uh, what I can tell you is that um, a lot of patients actually receive subsequent anticoncept therapy. So uh, for the Erdafitinib group, for example, um, uh, more than one third of the patients receive immunotherapy. 37% of the patients receive immunotherapy in the Erdafitinib group. And in the pembrolizumab um, group, 8.5% um, of the patients receive an FGFR inhibitors. One so, in 10, Brian. One in 10. Not enough. Yeah. Not, not enough. Not, not yeah. enough. But I think the, 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 the the most plausible explanation is the duration of response to pembrolizumab, which was very long for the patient treated with pembro and uh, shorter for the patient treated with erdafitinib. So I think okay. it's the most the, the more plausible to me. So let me get this right, Johan. What you showed is that erdafitinib works well in a biomarker selected population and it beats chemotherapy hands down. Uh, and is a standard of care. We'll talk about tolerability in a second. But at that time, you've then done some subset analysis of the biomarker, and it's created a little bit of a little bit of uncertainty. Well, some subgroups seem to do better than others. One of the one of the subgroups appears to do well, which sort of says, and, and on the upper tract patients also do well, and they have different DNA alterations also, which is suggesting we, the FGF biomarker is not perfect. And then you've looked at this PDL1 status. It's very low in the population. Um, and then, you, you, but you've not beaten pembrolizumab. Um, but again, ERDAs work quite well. You've got 40% response rates. Your PFS looks nice. But the OS associated with Pembro actually just kind of beats you because of the tail on that curve. And what that is suggesting actually is the biomarker for pembrolizumabs don't work that well. And maybe the biomarker for ERDA doesn't work that well either. Very depressing, Tom. 
I'm not sure. I'm not sure, Tom. I, I think. I think we, we push back we, as this... much as you like, Johanna. Because what I said is, what I've said is provocative because it does have a biomarker label. So it is important to push back on me. I think a bit with this to no, try I and think... defend defend that biomarker. I think it's not perfect, but it's the first step to identify the patients who are likely to respond to ELDA. It's not perfect because there's obviously there's something else that are associated with response. Again, maybe co-driver, maybe some immune cells. Uh, but uh, to in daily practice, to be very simple, I think if you find this uh, pre-specified uh, mutation and fusion. It's enough to 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 give it enough. Of course, we have to to go, to move forward and to to find the uh, the factor associated uh, with the response. Again, the core driver immune cells. But in daily practice, I think the message should be very simple. And with the uh, the moving landscape that we have now in in bladder cancer, I think uh, the fit name will be one standard of care in second line because all the patient or the majority of the patient will receive pembrolizumab first line. Combined with EV, probably. So I think again, if you if you find an FGFR3 mutation and fusion first line during the screening, I think the second line could be uh, could be quite easy to uh, uh, to select with erdafitinib in second line if the patient progress on EV Pembro. Yeah, that's yeah. what I was going to ask. Is given given other data at ESMO where you say either EV Pembro or potentially Nevo Gemsys becomes a frontline standard for most patients, the the randomization in, in this trial, in this cohort, isn't going to really be the decision that clinicians are facing, obviously, depending on access and country and all that. And you, you would you say that in, in FGF mutated patients that ERDA should be the second line standard of care after failure of one of those frontline regimens? I, I think so. We, we, we have a level one of evidence. Uh, I think the only one that we have in second line for uh, for the patient who, who will receive EV Pembro or uh, chemo plus immunotherapy, regardless of the, the type of immunotherapy niveau or available in maintenance. But I think it's uh, the second line. It's one one standard in second line. It's a so-called second line. I mean, Johan, I don't want to be a, a foreteller of doom, but uh, but you could argue post-EV Pembro, and let's assume that does become a standard of care in the future. It may or may not, and we have to look at the data when it's coming out tomorrow. But if EV Pembro was a standard of care, cisplatin-based chemotherapy is also attractive. And you'd be very brave to say, you know, you've beaten single-agent paclitaxel, you've not beaten single-agent Pembro. You'd be brave to come out and say, oh, no, I'm very confident that this extrapolates that we can beat GEM-CIS in, a, a second, in, in second line post-EV Pembro. Do you, think that, do you think that's a step too far? I think it's quite challenging. It will be quite challenging to give cisplatin-based chemotherapy in second line for the patients who have disease progression on EV Pembro. Uh, as you know, we cannot give a second line therapy to uh, the majority of the patients in second line. So giving a platinum-based chemotherapy second line won't be as easy as you maybe expect. <laughs> that, 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 that's my gut feeling, actually. Well, and I have a feeling it'll come down to patient fitness, right? I mean, in, in that perhaps more rare patient that is fit enough for platinum, I think, Tommy, make a good argument that you might be able to expect higher response rates, although we don't know, in fairness. But but ERDA, although with toxicity, would probably be, quote unquote, easier to give in that patient. 
Yeah, I, I think it could be a good survey. Yeah, you're right. And Johan, just talk briefly about the toxicity profile, really important from an education and training perspective. These drugs are not super easy to give, and just because it's a tablet doesn't make it easy. Do you want to just talk a bit about your experience of how you maximize um, the benefits between risk benefit and getting the patient, giving the patient the drug safely? Yeah, so uh, the, 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 the drug is given at eight milligram once daily, and you can uh, upgrade the patient to nine milligram. Uh, but uh, in a significant subset of patients, we have to step down the dose because of some toxicity like um, and foot syndrome, uh, nail toxicity, or ocular toxicity like CSR. So uh, all these uh, side effects are reversible if you, uh, you discontinue the treatment. And so in my experience now, I'm, I'm starting to to give the drug at eight milligrams, sometimes up treated to nine. And if the patient is complaining of some toxicity, I stop quite early, I decrease the dose to six milligrams very early so that the patient could be exposed to Eldafitnim for a longer time. Johan, my last question is about, do we know, and you alluded to this before, <clears throat> do we know anything about resistance to FGF inhibitors, whether it's specific mutations? Do we know anything about that or is that still evolving? No, it's a good point, uh, Brian. We reported in Cancer Discovery this year our experience from different FGF4 inhibitors, but including Eldafitnib uh, in, in more than 20 patients. And we were able to show that actually it's a complex uh, situation. There is no one mechanism of resistance. It's quite heterogeneous. And one third of the patients have secondary mutations in different locations of the gene. So that's why the uh, third generation of FGFR3 inhibitor RQ entries develop that will target the second mutation, but also the, the PR3 kinase AKT pathway is involved in a significant subset of patients as well. So if you want to, to reverse, you have to, to give a combination of an FGFR inhibitors and a base 3 kinase inhibitor will be quite challenging in terms of uh, safety. But the take-home message is, is quite heterogeneous. Great. Tom, last question to you. Well, it's not a question, Johanna, just to say fabulous, of course, number one. Number two, um, you've made our lives a lot more complicated, but a lot more interesting with this negative pembrolizumab study. Um, and uh, when I said earlier on the hazard ratio was greater than one, the comps intervals actually crossed one. So it's just, you know, it, it happens to be 1.18, but the composite will go from 0.8 to whatever it might be. So it's not that it's doing any harm as such. It's just not a positive trial. By the way, Johan, I've had many hazard ratios well above 1.18. So, uh, so well, above. Feel, well above. So don't feel bad about that. And, uh, <laughs> Thank you, and, uh, you for and, your kind yeah. words. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and uh, I'm looking forward to, to seeing, seeing you soon. Thanks, Johan. Thank appreciate you. it. Thank you. Bye-bye.